Congressman Wolf represents the 10th District of Virginia, which stretches from McLean to Winchester. He was born 1939 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, received his Bachelor of Arts degree from Penn State University in 1961. He received his law degree from Georgetown University in 1965. He presently resides in Vienna, Virginia with his wife, Carolyn. They have five adult children and 13 grandchildren. Congressman Wolf sits on the House of Representatives Appropriations Committee where he is the senior Republican on state and foreign operations subcommittee. He also serves on the Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development Subcommittee. From 2001 to 2006, he was the chairman of the then-named Science, State, Justice, Commerce Appropriations Subcommittee, which had jurisdiction over the Commerce Department, the State Department, the Justice Department, NASA, NIST, and the National Science Foundation. Congressman Wolf is one of the House of Representatives leading crusaders for human rights around the world. He is the co-chairman of the Congressional Human Rights Caucus, a bipartisan organization of over 200 House members that identifies and works to alleviate human rights abuses worldwide. It's a great honor, pleasure to welcome Congressman Wolf to Christen College. Thank you very much for coming. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you very much. I'd also like to introduce you to my uh, wife, Carolyn, uh, my wife of 46 years. And thank you, uh, uh, who was my driver today, uh, uh, driving, driving me around. And so uh, it's great to be here. I've been out here one other time. I, a couple of my close friends have been out here have told me. Uh, Chris Smith, who was one of my uh, closest friends in Congress, uh, who we were elected together, uh, told me he was out here not, not too long ago. I'm not sure when. And also Sam Brownback, another person who I work closely with. In fact, Sam and I were the first two members in the Congress uh, to go to uh, Darfur. Uh, uh, at the beginning of the genes genocide a number, of, a number of years ago. So it's good being here. Uh, what I would uh, like to do uh, uh, in the interest of, of time, there, there is a hand now to talk about uh, probably the overriding issue economically of where we are today and an idea, a bill that I have, and sort of try to let you know where we are as a nation and why it is really important uh, for all of us to kind of focus. And your generation is probably more impacted uh, than any other generation, perhaps other than my, uh, uh, my 13 grandkids, because they're a lot younger than, than, than you are. When I go into high schools, I was into about four or five high schools a couple months ago. I asked a question at every high school, uh, this, this question. I said, how many of you, and I'm going to ask you this, how many of you believe the Social Security system is sound and will be there when you retire. Raise your hand. That's, that, that's unbelievable. That's the first hand. Uh, get that guy's name. Uh, where are you from? Uh, you know, that's the only, I thought I'd get zero. That's the only hand I've had uh, 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 ever. So that's amazing. 
Uh, we are, where, where are we today? And of course, it's more timely than ever, but about two and a half years ago, I uh, took a trip. We were in Princeton, New, New Jersey. One of my daughters uh, 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 lives, in, lives in Princeton, and uh, she was having her, her uh, 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 a baby. And so what I did is I took off on a cold, snowy day. Is anybody here from New Jersey? Anybody here from New you Washington's Crossing. I went out to Washington's Crossing and just sort of looked and see how it must have been uh, when Washington crossed the Delaware. I mean, George Washington is my hero, as you probably know or should know or will know at the end of this talk. George Washington's first elective office was from Winchester, not from Mount Vernon. And George Washington, on the first time he ran, he lost. So if you're ever thinking of running for office, I mean, here's the greatest president we've ever had lost the first time he ran and only won on the second time. But I went out there to get some sense because Washington was down with to 3,000 troops left of the whole revolutionary force and yet literally changed the course of his history. And it was cold the day that I went out there. We have all seen the red uh, 1776 and it was the same way on that day. Later on uh, that spring, I went up to Antietam. Carolyn and I did. How, how many of you have been to Antietam? Oh, that's a good If you haven't been there, you ought to go. Uh, it's the, the battle that led Lincoln to uh, issue the Emancipation and Proclamation. 22 to 23,000 people were casualties. Most uh, died. Some were seriously wounded. But it, the price, so when you go to the Bloody Lane and see the price that people paid was unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And you look back at that, and I'm like, what are we doing to make sure that we are providing the same opportunity for the next generation, your generation and generations, to make sure that we are doing the right, right thing? I put together a bill to deal in June of two years ago to deal with the overall economic situation of uh, where we are. Now, in those days, it's changed a little bit, but we have... 53 trillion T trillion dollars of, of unfunded obligations and entitlements that the federal government has said it will stand behind. 53 trillion. We have 11 trillion dollars of government debt, much of it owned by, this, by foreign governments. China, Chris Smith and I went to China two months ago. China which has 34 Catholic bishops today in jail. One time Chris Smith was there and took Holy Communion from, from Bishop Sue. He was arrested and never seen again. But today they have 34 Catholic bishops in jail. They hold over a trillion dollars of our debt. They're a banker. The people who are, who are, who are jailing Catholic priests and bishops who have a large number of evangelical house church leaders who have plundered Tibet. I was the only congressman to go to Tibet. We went in with a trekking group and broke away with a young Buddhist monk. What they've done in Tibet, they've literally changed Tibet. Tibet and Lhasa is no longer a really a Tibetan city. Some of you may have been there recently. It is a, it is a dirty Chinese city. China is spying on us. They have the most sophisticated spying program of anybody that in every history of the world, basically, much more than a KGB. They hold our debt. One other country, 
Saudi Arabia. If you read the book and if you haven't read it, go get it. If you want to understand where we are with regard to war on terror, it's called the Looming Tower. It is a classic. It won Pulitzer Prize. It reads like a novel, but it's factual. The fellow who wrote it six, six years, I've interviewed him. We set up meetings for him at the, at the Bureau. Read it. Saudi Arabia, who holds a large portion of our debt, funded all those madrasas up along the Afghan-Pakistan border. And I've been up there. I was the first member of Congress with uh, Tony, Tony Hall uh, and, and Joe Pitts and myself to go to Afghanistan when the war broke out. Saudi Arabia that funds radical Wahhabism, some of it right here in River City in Northern Virginia. I was the author of the, of the, of the Religious Freedom Commission, Chris, Chris and I. They had two professors look at the textbooks that are being taught in Fairfax County, anti-Semitic and anti-Christian. They hold a portion of our debt. Now, the, the ambassador from Saudi Arabia can worship here at a mosque, and that's great. But you, if you go to Saudi Arabia, you cannot worship at a church. The only place you can worship is if they have church services either at the American Embassy or at the British Embassy. They hold our debt. They are our bankers. This should severely trouble you. You should be concerned about it. And if you read and look at this new film coming out, write it down, I-O-U-S-A. It lays out where we are in the nation with regard to debt and deficit. We not only have a debt and deficit financial, we have a leadership deficit. We have a leadership debt. But they lay out on where we are. And in the movie, it's a factual movie, won the prize at the Sundance Festival, it lays out in 1956, Britain and France invaded the Suez Canal that you may remember or, learn, or learned about. And Eisenhower told them to get out. They refused to get out, so Eisenhower told the Treasury Department to dump their paper. And as we started to dump their paper, do you know what they did? They got out. And so when, when foreign powers, particularly not Norway, not Denmark, not Great Britain, but China with its horrible human rights records that has a policy of killing people in prison, maybe a human rights person, maybe not, then doing a blood type with somebody that needs a kidney transplant and selling kidneys in China for forty-five dollars to $50,000. China, who came in and stripped my computer and Chris Smith's com com computer, they, they hold our, our debt. And so economically, also, we're not manufacturing and making things anymore. China may beat us back to the moon. If you ask anyone to go downtown somewhere and say, what's the number one country in space? Most people say the United States. And maybe at this flash of a moment, they may be right. We have 80,000 engineers, both the NASA and contract engineers working on a space program. 80,000. China has 200,000. 200,000. When I was in China in, in July, we were there with 
Chris, it's pulsating. You can feel it. A new power plant every week. Every member of their Politburo is an engineer. New, new engineering schools are growing up all over the country. And we, they have 200,000. We have 80. In 2006, China graduated 500,000 engineers. India graduated 200,000. So between the two, they graduated 700,000 engineers in that one year, the same year in America. We graduated 70,000. And 40% of our graduates are not American citizens, are foreign students, and don't want to stay here and are not going to stay here and are going to, are, are going to go back. Probably half of that 40% are Chinese. So in some respects, China may have 520,000 to our 45,000. <clears throat> you can't do that. Our scores, our math scores are dropping. Our investments in math and science and physics and chemistry and biology is dropping. And I want to bring about a renaissance whereby it goes just the other way. Those of you, anybody here from the, from the Trenton area? Trenton, New Jersey. When you go up, if you want to see the economic situation of where we are, and I just put a thing in the congressional record on it the other day, you might get the whole speech. A guy gave this uh, on a manufacturing. It was so impressive and depressing that I put it in the record for the world to, uh, to see. Just get on the train in Washington and take the train up to New York City. Goes through my old neighborhood. I was born in an area called South Philadelphia, raised in Southwest Philly. It goes right by my high school. My high school and my house was right next to the largest, I believe, General Electric switchgear factory in the world. It's gone. It's gone. You go through Baltimore and it's in decay. You go through Wilmington outside and Marcus Hook is in decay. You get up in the Philadelphia areas and you look at the trash along the road and it's in decay. And then you go to Trenton. And across the bridge in Trenton, it's painted across the bridge. The next time you go look at it, it says, Trenton makes and the world takes. Trenton doesn't make anything anymore. Trenton doesn't make anything. Trenton doesn't make anything at all. And so when you look at economically and financially and manufacturing and innovation, it is time to kind of pull up our socks and tighten up our shoes and face, face the reality. Many people don't want to face, face this. There is a song that Simon and Garfunkel sang a little bit before your time, but it's called The Boxer. Anybody ever hear the words of The Boxer? You know the words of The Boxer? It says, man hears what he wants to hear and, and disregards the rest. We, as a nation, are only hearing what we want to hear, and we're disregarding the rest. And so what I've done working with Jim Cooper, a Democrat from Tennessee, a blue dog, is put in a bill with all this list that you can see here. Some of the most conservative members, Mike Pence, John Boehner, Roy Blunt, but Jim Moran and Sheila Jackson Lee and Mark Udall of a whole broad cross-section. And what it does is it says that we will deal 
with their economic issue by doing the following. I was the author of the Iraq study group. We got Jim Baker, a Republican former secretary, and we got Lee Hamilton, a former Democratic member of, of the House Intel Committee, to come together to put together a group of men and women who, who love the country more than they love their political party. And we want to do the same thing here, but what we want to do is we want to put everything on the table, every spending program in the government on the table, the same way that if you were having a financial problem in your house, you would sit around and say, okay, we're, what are we going to do? We're going to get rid of cable, or we're going to sell the old truck we're, we're, we're not using, or we're going to cancel the vacation to Disney. How are we going to come together to deal with it? And what we do is we put everything on, including tax policy. And then we require this, similar to the language that is in what they call the Base Closing Commission Bill. You, you can never close a military base until Dick Army passed what they call the Base Closing Commission. If it gets on the Base Closing Commission, you can't pick or choose. It's an up or down vote for everything. It's not a smorgasbord that you can pick. It's all or nothing. And what we do is we require within 60 days the Congress to vote this up or or down. By doing this and getting control of the spending now, we can create a renaissance. And your generation should want a renaissance more than anyone, whereby we can reallocate the spending, more money in math and science and physics and chemistry and biology, and more money into space and more money into cancer research. Both my mom and dad died of cancer. Cancer has run through my, uh, my family. More money into uh, autism, uh, more money uh, in, into research on Alzheimer's. About a couple months ago, I was watching Newt Gingrich and former Chief Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, whose, whose husband has Alzheimer's, testifying before the Senate Agent Committee. We're that close to finding a cure for Alzheimer's. But to begin to reallocate the spending and put it in areas to truly create a renaissance, to do what your parents and your grandparents did for you, what we will do for the future generations. So we can honestly say, as politicians love to say, they got this phrase they must have learned. They always love to say, America's greatest days are yet ahead, and the sun has barely begun to rise. And so I can say and look at my 12, my 13 grandkids and say to the youngest, Noah, Noah, America's best days are yet ahead, and the sun has barely begun to rise, and we're going to do this and put money into math and science and physics and chemistry and biology and all these things and research and cancer research and healthcare and all to really bring about a renaissance in this country. The last thing I'll, I'll say. When America becomes weakened, the world becomes a more dangerous place. As we become weaker economically, the world becomes a more dangerous place. There are forces out there who want to destroy us. Terrorism is running in certain areas. Uh, I've been to Sudan five times. I was the author of the National Commission on Terror. Osama, when I put the bill in, I said Osama bin Laden lived in Sudan from 91 to 96, and nobody did a thing about it. The southern Sudanese have been standing up to that for years. When they see America weak, they are more in, more in danger. When America is weak, there's more anti-Semitism around the world. 
When America's weak, there's more violation of human rights and religious freedom. When America is perceived as being weak, the dictators rise. They prowl the earth. And so it is important for us to be number one with values, not to dominate, but the same kind of values that the founding fathers had, as Ronald Reagan talked about a city on, on a hill. 85% of the food that goes to Darfur, and Sam and I were the first two people, comes from the American taxpayer. Not from France and Germany and China. In fact, China is, 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 is promoting the genocide. China has the biggest embassy in Khartoum. China is pumping oil out of Khartoum. China is throwing weapons to the Janjaweed and the Khartoum government. China is vetoing the, the implementation of putting blue helmet guys on the ground in there. So the world becomes a dangerous place, whether it be hunger. Hunger is soaring around the world. For those of you who are interested in third world countries, there is another famine ready to break out in Ethiopia and other places. So what I'm talking about isn't only for us, although it is important for our, our nation, but for the world. Had it not been for the strength and the way that we worked it with regard to President Kennedy and Truman and Eisenhower right up into President, President Reagan, there would have not have been the defeat of the Soviet Union and of communism. So when we become as a nation somewhat weakened, I think around the world it becomes more dangerous, particularly for people who are oppressed and people for religious minorities and people who are more, are, are, are more vulnerable. So uh, the challenge that I give you, and I'm gonna end, I'd be glad to take any questions, is, is you gotta kinda be part of this. You, you gotta be part of this. You gotta have some passion. You gotta care. I was telling this young man who was told me once somebody he was interested in running for office. I stuttered as a kid in Philadelphia and got laughed at by a lot of people. I don't come from money. You hear the stories of big Republicans or the rich guys? I took my pension out. I had five kids and took my pension out to run for Congress. I ran for Congress in 76 and lost, and ran in 78 and lost, and finally won in 1980. I haven't paid my, my, my pension back, back in, but you care about the issues. And you gotta care, you gotta understand, and you gotta be part of the solution. Because if you're not part of the solution, you really almost become part of the problem. And sometimes I see sometimes more lethargy among the young at times. I sort of kind of gauge, I used to go into all the high schools when I began, and I still do, and I'm almost excited to see young people demonstrating on issues that I don't even agree with them on. But at least they care and they're interested, so I challenge you. This is the time to participate, to really be involved. And we gotta take care of our economy, we gotta get control of this debt, we got to bring about a renaissance and an innovation in this nation because when we do, it's good for us, but it also is a calming influence around the world whereby we are the nation always that stands for the poor and the hungry and read Matthew 25 and those that are in prison and in prison not only in a real prison, but you're in prison when you're a Christian living in, in certain parts of the middle Middle East. You're basically in prison. You're not in prison, but, but you're in prison. When you're an Iraqi Chaldean Catholic in Iraq and in the plains of Nineveh where I have been, you are in prison 
because if you look and read the papers for the last two weeks, they're killing them left and right. So Matthew 25 tells us to help the poor, the hungry, those who are in prison, and your generation. I mean, as we end, as my life begins to decline, if you will, we pass the generation. Not that I'm planning on leaving right away, but we pass the generation. And if, I don't know if you have any of you have run track, but in, in the relay race, the winning of the relay race is on the passing of the baton. So my generation is passing the baton to your generation. And I just hope and pray that you are ready to grab that baton and run and do the things with regard to what I'm talking about, but to be advocates for the poor and the hungry, for people who are persecuted, people in this country, but to really get involved and make a difference. Let me just end, and if you want to you wanna have any questions. Uh, any... Well, the political science department certainly thanks Representative Wolf for that wonderful talk, bringing up so many interesting points for our young students here to think about. Uh, at this time, we have a few more minutes left. Uh, I'm going to field some questions for you guys. You raise your hand. I'll pick on you. Can have Ask representatives questions. I see Peter Donahue. One, two, Greg. Want to take the vote? Congressman Wolf, given the current economic crisis in the United States and how this affects matters around the world, are things on the table if your bill goes through, such as curbing inflationary policies regarding money, possibly bringing back something like gold standard or like serious economic things which might hurt in the short run but which would help in the long run? We do, we do not get into the gold standard. We, we, we put all spending on the table. We put tax policy on, on, on the table. And indirectly, you put in certain regulatory efforts. I mean, we need to get control of what was this, this greed that kind of ran rampant, if you will, up on Wall Street, some of those things. But no, we don't really get into the gold, gold, gold standard. We really basically say, we as a nation will begin to do what our parents and our grandparents did. We will begin to live on what we make and what we take in, also knowing that a portion of that goes to help the poor and the hungry, not just so we can drive a, a bigger car or live in a bigger house, but to, but to do what our obligations are. But no, we don't get into this. We don't get into the gold standard and different things like that. That is not part, part of it. Yes? Congressman uh, um, uh, what does this bill do in terms of helping the private industry um, come back home? Um, and will it uh, overall decrease government spending and uh, will it do something about lower taxes? It, 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 it will help American businesses because it, right now we have a flight. Businesses are leaving the United States. People are worried with regard to the economic situation of the country. A large portion have gone down to Mexico. A large portion have gone offshore to other, other places. So it will help. But it's kind of like when you're out of shape and you're overweight and you're, you, can't, you can't run, you know. It just, it, you just kind of get yourself back into shape again. So it helps on all of that by having a balanced budget, but also not just a balanced budget. Did you see what they announced yesterday, the budget deficit? For, for this year, $455 billion. Last year was $150 billion. Do you know what they're talking about next year? Potentially a trillion dollars. But so you have the deficit for that year, 
which is important, but it's also to pay down the debt so that we're not having a wide open uh, a sale. I was telling one person, there was a conference up in New York City several weeks ago, if you want the details, call, call my office and talk to uh, uh, Elise and we can send you, whereby there was a conference put on for Middle Eastern countries. Listen to this on how they can buy up America. Listen, 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 there's more. And implement Sharia law in the United States. Abu Dhabi just bought three quarters of the Chrysler building. This is not kind of a, so it, it, it gets us back into a situation whereby I believe and we reallocate some of that spending and put more money into the sciences. Put, put, put more money. We, we should be creating more, enge more engineers. Uh, our, our math scores are, 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 are declining. Our students are bright, but there, there's not as much emphasis on that. So it, it really would bring about, and good for business, to bring about truly a renaissance. The purpose of doing this isn't just to bring about some pain. The purpose of doing this is to give us an opportunity to make sure that your generation, particularly in the next one, has the same opportunities and the economic advantages that we have, but also give us the ability to do what we have done well in this country by reaching out to others around the world and helping the poor. Does anyone believe that the Berlin Wall would have fallen had it not been for the United States? Do you remember, have any of you ever read Whitaker Chambers' book, Witness? Yeah, you got, you know, you're, it's good you read Witness. How, how many of you read Witness? It is, it is one of my favorite books. In, in, in Witness, you all know, I'm going to assume, but I won't say, Whitaker Chambers was a member of the Communist Party. Whitaker Chambers left the Communist Party, and he wrote this classic book uh, called Witness. And in it, Whitaker Chambers says, when I left the Communist Party, I believe that I was leaving the winning side and joining the losing side, meaning he believed that, that communism was winning. And then he goes on to say, and nothing I have seen since has led me to believe that I'm wrong. Whitaker Chambers believed that communism was going to roam over the earth. In 1985 or 86, uh, I invited the former Polish ambassador, Spazowski, who was the, his father was the founder of the Communist, Communist Party. He defected in 1981. He walked out of the Polish embassy. He walked into the White House and he and Reagan stood, stood together. He moved to Vienna, so we became friends. I went to his funeral. He came over to my house and I wanted him to tell my kids about communism and what was going on and he was depressing. He pretty much said that communism is, is, is running rampant throughout the world. None of you remember, except perhaps a few in the front row, but the U.S. News and World Report used to have maps of all the countries that were turning red. And so he just felt that communism was inevitable, and yet he hated it. Now, Ambassador Spazowski was wrong, and Whitaker Chambers was wrong, because of people like Reagan and Kennedy and Truman and things like, like that. So... Individuals make a difference. You, the, the, the Civil War became what it came and what happened because of a man like Lincoln. If Buchanan had been the president during that period of time, something would have been different. 
The outcome of the Revolutionary War came about because of men like Washington. Like Washington. If a different general had been in charge, the reason this country was, was founded and done so well is that at 1787 little meeting in the city of Philadelphia where the great minds, many from Virginia, came together. So men and women make a difference and shape the course of human events. And sometimes it doesn't take a lot of individuals. It just takes individuals with character and commitment and integrity and pers perseverance. I mean, Washington loved Mount Vernon. Loved it. Read all the stuff. But he, he almost had never been back to Mount Vernon for seven or eight, eight, eight years. So individuals coming in can make a difference. And if you look, go, go back and read Whitaker Chairman's book, Witness, and then think in terms of communism is on the ash heap of, of history, and now different problems are really coming up. Take the last two here. Yes. Congressman, I agree with you on the trade issue, I mean, excuse me, on the uh, manufacturing issue, but trade seems to be a little bit of a concern. In 1980, General Motors was the number one employer in the United States. After NAFTA, General Motors became the number one employer in Mexico, and government became the number one employer in the United States. Um, we have a most, you, you guys in the Congress voted for the most big, I agree with you on China. I didn't, I didn't vote. I, I led the effort with Chris against MF, MFM. No, but on NAFTA, I think uh, a lot of the manufacturing jobs have gone south. Now, I don't have a problem with them going south. I do have a problem going across the Pacific. But why cannot you guys, let's say, um, curve some of these free trade agreements, which have tremendously hurt our manufacturing base? And of course, why is most favored nation trade status with China permanent and nothing can be done from here on out? Well, I'll I take the, the first question, the easy one first. We all, Chris and I, opposed granting MFN. We used to grant it on a yearly basis, and we said, and Bill Clinton, there was in, in 1980, 92 or 93, Clinton comes to the Congress to give a State of the Union message, and he says something against China. One guy got up. I, I, I have the picture. I know the guy. It was me. Applauding him on what he said. The Chinese lobby and a lot of the people that got involved in that just is kind of the, the Q-tip theory, thinking if I get to sell Q-tip to every Chinese person, look at all the money. I, we never wanted them, M2. And MFN worked on re releasing the dissidents in the Soviet Union. Talked to Sharansky and Sakharov. They felt that was by holding that over the Soviet Union. So there was a group of us who never wanted to grant them at all and certainly never wanted to give them on a, on a permanent basis. Clinton, Clinton did that. I mean, he came up, he campaigned against granting MFN, criticized President Bush, and then got in it a year later, opened it up and gave it, gave it to him. On, on the issue of trade, I am a free trader. Part of the, part of the problem was that, that General Motors, and I drive an American car, I drive a Ford Hybrid, Escape. I always drive an American car. But you know what? The Americans were not making the best cars. You can look in the, in the what, do you, what do you call the book? Uh, uh, and, uh, I, you know, one time I drove a Chrysler and there was, they were almost built in for uh, uh, falling apart. And so we were not making the best and we had slipped a little bit. We had really kind of failed to that. Now, most young people, I would imagine most of you are driving Toyotas and Hondas because the Japanese came along. I think we can. And I think the American manufacturer is back. The problem is they just haven't convinced the American people that they're, that they're back. Also, you've had such, 
such such closeness and some of the uh, the regulations and uh, the built-in uh, givebacks with regard to the UAW and all have sort of tied tied them up. I mean, Boeing is now uh, facing a major strike whereby the Japanese or the Chinese are cheering because the Chinese want to take those planes and manufacture them over over China. So a lot of it were we were not making the best. A lot of it were that General Motors and Ford fell down, even when I was buying their project more products more out of an allegiance. But I think free trade is good. I think America can make and can manufacture and can be an innovator and can compete. But there for a period of time, and I think from your age capacity, maybe you don't see it the same way, 81 and 82, they were making junk. And people don't buy junk. And now they're coming back and they're making it. And the problem is that many of the young people have sort of moved off and think that if it's a foreign car, it's a better. The American manufacturer is back and better, the American people just don't want to go. We don't want to become a fortress of uh, 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 America. We want to be basically a free trading nation. I'm not afraid to, uh, uh, to compete. The problem is they have not been free trade or fair trade because it has not been level. And just to say a couple things contra controversial. The China, China has some of the biggest law firms in Washington on retainer. Patent Boggs and Blow represents the Chinese. Well, Patent Boggs and Blow ostensibly may be the best law firm in the city and, and lobbying. Patent Boggs and Blow represents, what's the other country I mentioned at the outset? Saudi Arabia. No one in the 80s during the Reagan administration, when I served with President Reagan, no law firm in Washington would have ever represented the Soviet Union. Zero, zip, none. And now you've had such a breakdown of the standards and an increasing sense of greed that now you find American lawyers working for the Chinese. America, I mean, before the, the Chinese ambassador comes up to the Hill, he can call Patton Boggs and Blow and say, I'm going to see this congressman tell me. That is a disgrace. And next year, I'm putting in the bill to have no revolving door. If you want to work for the government, and it's an honor to work for the government. And let me tell you, I will never go out and lobby. Never, ever, ever. If you ever see me lobbying, you run downtown and you go to the papers and you say, that guy is a phony. I will never lobby. It is in every committee meeting that I say over and over. What we're going to do is put in a bill to prohibit the revolving door. If you have been honored by the American people to serve in your government, whether it be ambassador whether it be CIA station chief, whether it be Congress. You want, for five years, you should be prohibited from lobbying for any foreign government or foreign interest, period. And if you don't want to, if you don't want to have that, just don't come and work for the government. The Saudis have on the payroll almost all, I would almost say all, but I cannot conclusively prove there's one or two, almost all of the former American ambassadors to Saudi Arabia and CIA station chiefs are now out working for the Saudi government or subsidiaries of the Saudi. I'm a graduate of Georgetown Law School. Last year, the Saudi's government gave Georgetown $20 million for the Middle East Studies program. Now, do you think of Georgetown where I graduated from law school, 
takes $20 million from the Saudis, do you think they're really going to study radical Wahhabism? And a lot of universities, there is a new movie that's just come out. You ought to get it. And if you can't get it, I'll try to get a copy for you after a while called The Third Jihad. Seeing what is, what is taking place. Some of these countries are funding universities. And believe me, when they give $20 million to Georgetown or $20 million to Harvard, don't think they're ever going to do in-depth studies to learn about uh, 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 why uh, the madrasas were formed up along the Afghan border. So what I'm putting in, one of the first bills I put in next year is a bill to prohibit the revolving door. If you have been honored by working for our, our government, you will not lobby for, for five years. If you want to go out and lobby, then you will never work, work for a government. Let me take the last two, uh, this question in here and I'll end. Congressman, from your perspective. I'm going to watch the debate tonight, yeah. From your perspective, what do you see is at stake in the pres this presidential election? Oh, it, it's, it's, it's so big. It's, it, it's, I mean, it's so big. It's, it's, it's so big. I know John McCain. John McCain is courageous. He's got courage. No guy that's been in a POW camp for five and a half years is afraid. He's not afraid. He's not afraid to stand up to the Republican leadership. He's not afraid to stand up to the Democratic leadership. Not afraid to stand up to Speaker Pelosi, to Harry Reid, or the Republican leadership. The guy's courage. Secondly, if you really, if you honestly, which I do, I mean, if you don't want change, you must be living in a, in a, in a locker room with, with ice all around. Don't you want change? Don't you want to bring about an honesty and integrity and change the government? I do. If you really want change, honest to goodness change, not this rhetorical, you know, I'm going to give you change. And I mean, if you really want change, and I'm not saying anything bad about the other guy. I'm not into criticizing the other guy. I'm just going to talk about why I think McCain. If you really want change, real change, uh, McCain's the guy. Lastly, the country needs healing. The country needs to reach across to Republicans and Democrats to come together. Ronald Reagan used to go up and sit down with Tip O'Neill. They differed, but they loved the country. If you watch the Republican convention, Joe Lieberman, if any of you were from Connecticut, Joe Lieberman deserves a chapter in one of my favorite books. My two favorite books are Profiles of Courage and A Man for All Seasons. You ought to read them both. You ought to read them twice, underline them, and reread them, and reread them. I think Joe Lieberman deserves a chapter in Profiles of Courage. He has given up his Senate chairmanship. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. I know of no one who has ever given up their Senate chairmanship. The Democratic leadership is actually talking about censuring him. I don't know what that means. They, they did that in the Politburo. I don't know. What, what does that mean? But he will probably lose it. So if you really want somebody, really, who can reach across the aisle and grab hands with the Democrats and bring them in, which I do because we want to heal the nation, I think John McCain's the guy. So one for courage, and I want my president to be a leader. I want him, he or she, to have courage, not to be afraid, not to be intimidated. Secondly, I want them to really bring change, not just you know change 
in a blue banner that you wave and change, which nobody knows what change means, but real change. And lastly, I want to see the nation healed. I want to see Republicans and Democrats. No one party has the solution. I want to see us come home together. So this is, I think it's probably the biggest election maybe in my lifetime. I would have said that the Reagan-Carter election was, but this, I believe, where we are, because when 1980, we, we, we did not have this, this terrific debt. We did not have the trade imbalance. We did not have all the inherent problems. We did not have the decay of the manufacturing base. So I think personally, from our, our perspective, this will be a defining election. And this, I think, I, 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 I just think it's going to be, and you know, the people will speak, and we don't know what's going to happen, but from my own perspective, and, and I'm not a particularly partisan person. My best friend in Congress, two of my best friends are Chris, Chris Smith and, and Tony Hall. Tony's a Democratic member of the House. Tony served as a Democrat for 20-some years. Uh, we do things together. We talk on the phone a couple of times a week. He contributes to my campaign. I mean, I'm not a partisan person, but I think for the country to today, I'll, 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 I'll kind of end. I believe if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the book of Esther. Esther was sent for such a time like this. In many respects, I think John McCain has been sent for such a time like this. Thank you very, very much.